Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to my YouTube channel. My name is John Campia, and this is a companion video. What are companion videos? Well, I'm awfully glad that you asked. See, every day on the John Campia Show, Monday through Friday, we save the second half of the show to take your live comments and questions. However, we usually don't have enough time to get through all the live comments and questions that get sent in. But if you sent in those comments and questions, I want to make sure you don't have to wait too long to get them answered. So we gather them up here and we address them on companion videos. And I am not alone here today for our companion video. Kimberly Curran is here. Kimberly, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. I'm doing really, really good. It's good to have you back. Yeah, it's You're great doing to something be a little back. bit different with your hair. I am. When did you do that? Switching it up a little bit. Like we, when we went to go to the movies, a couple we went to the Dosi Kong Godzilla last week. Yeah, your hair was not like that yet. No. What, what brought on the change? No, I I actually changed my hair a lot. Oh, okay. you actually caught me in a boring, lazy phase. I, um, like I was probably lazy. I was probably in my um uh, my 2020. Like oh, I'm not going to do anything, but I actually change it. A lot. I love, love playing around with different styles. Well, it looks so. great. And it's good to have you guys here too, joining us here. Like I said, we got a lot of questions to get caught up on. So let's not waste any time and get right to it. Kimberly, what is first? All right. This is from a man nicknamed Pooh Bear. Hmm. Rest in peace, Dogman X, DMX. Going to rock X, going to give it to you all day. Hashtag legend. Yeah, it was it was sad to hear the other day that DMX had passed away. Now, obviously, mostly known as being a a musical figure and stuff like yeah. that. But Cradle to the Grave, uh, Romeo Must Die. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, he he had started things with Jet Li and Steven Seagal. Right? And he had, he had a legitimate, for a period of time, he had a legitimate movie career, too. Yeah. And I'll be honest, like, I think he was only 50. Yeah, I didn't even so know he young. was sick. I heard he was actually in a coma for a while. I didn't even know he was sick, to be honest with you. I think it, I think it was an unfortunate uh, addiction issue. Um, yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, I think it was an overdose, and um, it's really sad because his heart, he had such a big, deep heart, and sometimes when he would do his freestyles, you just sit back and go, "Man, that's deep." Like he had a lot of depth to him, and um, just so much to him. It's real. It's a it's a real loss. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so really there you sad. go. All right. What is next? This is coming from Brandon. Brandon says, John, did you see that Disney has created a real lightsaber? Yes, I saw a lot of headlines about this. They're not real lightsabers. I mean, they're not even close to real lightsabers. From what I understood, now I could be wrong about this, but what I saw with the design was it's basically like two concave measuring tapes that extend out that have light features in them so you hit the button and sure it looks like a, a beam of light is coming out yeah what it is is like two concave that overlap with each other like measuring tape type of material and it shoots out to its length and it illuminates yeah so it looks like a lightsaber but, oh, but it's it's an actual it's piece a of thing. It's a physical, physical thing that comes out. Oh, that comes out. out. Okay, okay. It's not like Disney. When I first saw these headlines, I thought Disney found a way. To actually control light and have light come out. I was going to say, cut your hand off. (laughs) There's a YouTube channel. I'm trying to remember what the name of the channel is, but they basically do a lot of metal work. And they actually created a lightsaber, but it was made out of plasma and fire. And so they would literally, they concocted this lightsaber. Of course, it had to be attached to a tube that went to a propane or a gas tank on their backs. Oh, my God. And they would light it up. (laughs) And they would use it to cut through metal doors. Holy now, crap. <laughs> not like not like super like, but they had to go very slowly. It would cut through metal doors. But yeah, this is not that. It is just a very creative way, from what I understand, to look like a real lightsaber, unless I'm completely wrong. But that's 
that's the way I, I saw that. So anyway, there's that. All right. That's cool. What's next? T3 Media says, $50 tips questions idea. You already segment the topics on the main show. When that kind of question comes in, just do the same thing. I can't speak for everyone, but I would be happy to see it get its own video, whether two or 15 minutes rant wouldn't matter. Well, okay, so where this is coming from, and this was brought up earlier on today's show too. So I talked about it last, somebody last week asked, hey, John, you used to take, when somebody would tip in $50 or more, you would take their question and make its own three to five minute video out of it and put it on the channel. And I loved that idea when I was doing it. The problem was it turned out being way more popular than I thought it would be. And so we went from people having to wait a day or two to get their their own little videos made Mm. to three to four days waiting to like a week and a half waiting. And that is just not fair. That is not fair to the people who sent that in. That is not fair um, that it happened. And so I decided to pull the plug on it, which sucks because... We were making a good amount of revenue from that. But people we want to hear from you, John. But I, I mean, I think people <laughs> just wanted to support the channel. But, yeah, which is But awesome. I didn't want them to have to wait that long. You know, I thought it was unfair. So we pulled the plug on it, even though we were making a lot of revenue from it. Now, a couple of people have now suggested that instead of making their own video, why don't you just answer the question in the show like normal and then cut it out as its own segment like we do for the main topics on the John Campia show Oh, and put it up. And I, I, I just feel like that's lazy. I feel like that's a, that's a, I feel like that's cheating if I did that, but I don't know if a few other people say they're like, you're the second or third person T3 to write in to suggest that if other people say they'd be good with that and they think that would be fine, then hell, maybe then I, then I'll do it. I, again, I just don't want people to feel like they're being taken advantage of. I don't want people to feel like, Hey, you know, we we did this because we thought we we're getting our own video and then we had to wait over a week or you didn't actually make its own video. You just put up the way you answered on the show. You know what I mean? So I'll yeah. tell you, if more people write in and say they'd be cool with that, I will consider it. I definitely will. All right. What's next? This is coming from the Wakandan forever. He says, WrestleMania weekend, Oscar, step aside. This is my most anticipated time of the year. I know you're going to be watching. What is your favorite wrestling rivalry? I would still have to say Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, Nature Boy, and the American Dream. Woo! I actually watched very little of it this year. And I I watch WrestleMania every year. It's one of the only big wrestling things that I'll watch every year. I, I always watch WrestleMania. but Saturday, I was predisposed. I was out Saturday, so I couldn't watch the first half. And then yesterday, we were sort of planning on it. But then my buddy, Cody Miller, Olympic gold medalist, uh, of course, one of our co-hosts for Best Movie, Worst Movie podcast. I haven't seen him in over a year because of COVID. He lives in Indiana. I haven't seen him in over a year. And he texts messages me yesterday out of nowhere in the morning saying, hey, I just got a new sponsor. He just signed a new sponsorship with Speedo, by the way. This guy... Olympic gold medal, preparing for the next Olympics. Speedo is his sponsor, whatever. He's a dynamite YouTuber, but he's like, I'm getting on a flight right now to LA because I have to do a a photo shoot for Speedo, but I'm free after two o'clock today. Do you want to hang out? And we're like, yeah, of course. So he came over. So instead of watching WrestleMania, I ended up just hanging out with my friend. My all-time favorite rivalries in wrestling go back, obviously, to when I was a kid watching wrestling, but they would be uh, Tito Santana against Gregor the Hammer Valentine. That's when I was really young, when I was like just starting to watch. And the other one would probably be Randy Macho Man Savage and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, one of the greatest WrestleMania, one of the greatest wrestling matches of all time was there. So those are a couple of mine. All right, what's next? 
This is coming from K Major. Touche, Netflix. I was legit days away from canceling my Netflix account. I got Hulu, D+, YouTube, TV, HBO Max, Crunchyroll. What the hell? I ain't made of money, people. Something's got to give. Definitely keeping D+, YouTube TV, and Crunchyroll. We talked recently on the show. We broke down the mathematics of it on the show a couple of months ago of like- It's getting expensive, man. Back in the day, when I was the first person I, I personally knew, I obviously wasn't the first person to do it, but I was the first person I knew to do it. I cut the cable- Almost a decade ago. Yeah. I canceled cable. I just went to all streaming, even though my options at the time were very limited. And people at the time in the TV industry was like, you watch, that's going to become more expensive than having cable. And we were like, no, it won't. You're just bitter and salty, you take cable TV companies. Well, guess what? They're right. We are now paying more money, depending on how much you have. We're paying more money now for the streaming services than we ever were for cable. And whether you're talking about Crunchyroll, Amazon Prime, mm-hmm. Hulu, Disney Plus, ESPN Plus, yep. uh, uh, Paramount Plus, uh, Peacock, uh, Showtime, Apple TV, Apple TV, uh, on and on and on. Mm-hmm. It, and we are we are spending more for it now. And yes, in a perfect world, you have them all, and you have more great content than you've ever had before. But the reality is, a lot of us have to pick and choose. Like we can't spend 150 bucks a month. On, on streaming services. So some much. people can, some people can't, but whatever. We shouldn't be spending that much money a month on streaming services. So you may have to pick and choose. Like right now, I don't have Showtime. And yeah. I Showtime has a lot of really good stuff. They got but good I was stuff. just like, I can't have Showtime. I don't have stars. Even though- I don't. And I'm frustrated when I, when I, uh, I usually Google like where to watch I don't know, yeah. whatever, uh, Cinderella or whatever. Um, and it says Hulu. And I go, great, I got Hulu. And then I go and it's like, nope, Hulu for special subscription add-on. for the extra yes. add-on. And then the other day I caught myself actually adding it. And then I was like, you know what? No, no, no. Yeah. I can't do this every time I want to watch something. I add a $15 whatever, you know, it's. What it's, we as viewers ah. have to do, we have to develop. I think we as as consumers, what we need to do is develop a six month audit habit, which is like every six months. There you go. Sit down. I mean, it's a little bit of work, but sit down and actually take inventory. Here's the services I currently subscribe to and what I pay. These are the shows that I'm watching. Do I need to have all these networks from what I'm actually watching? And what are some of the other shows on other networks that I'm not currently subscribed to that I'm really actually very interested in. And should I be doing some swapping? I think a good six-month audit as a viewer would be very, very good for us. But maybe. Yep. Who knows? All right. What's next? Okay. This is coming from JC. Hey, John. We all want the movie-going experience to return. With the uncertainty of the virus and new variants present, why would you promote the return to the theater to the theaters rather than discourage it. Huge fan, but a bit disappointed on your encouragement. Well, here's the thing, JC. And by the way, JC tipped in $20 for that. Thank you so much for supporting the channel on that level. A fair question. Let me give you a fair answer. There has been no scientific study that has shown any cases of COVID have ever been contracted at a movie theater. Hmm. That's why I tend to listen to science and data and reports more than whatever. Look, the reality is, Uh, We go to grocery stores, right? Because we know if we, look, you cannot be 100% risk-free No. if you ever choose to walk outside your door. Yeah. Whenever you step one foot outside your door, 
you are not 100% risk-free of contracting uh, COVID. So what you do is we understand that we take precautions to drastically limit the chances that we get something like that. So when we go to the grocery store, we make sure we maintain a good social distance. We wear our masks. We sanitize. We do the things that we know we need to do. It doesn't eliminate the possibility, Mm -hmm. but what it does is it drastically reduces the chances. So when I have gone to the movie theaters, my experiences have been far better than going to grocery stores. I see social distancing. I see temperature checks being done. I see hand sanitizers being, I see masks being required. I see nobody sitting directly around me in my movie theater. And listen, if there's a movie theater that doesn't follow those safety procedures, do not give them your business. But the movie theaters I go to do put those safety procedures in in place. And since there has been no identified breakouts of any COVID strains or anything like that connected directly with movie theaters, it is a safer place to go than the grocery store. So because of that, unless we want to advocate everybody stay at home, never leave your house, which I don't think is the answer. But hey, if some uh, some people want to do that. Hey, and, and we thank you did for part of the that, <laughs> you know, yeah, we, we did, did that, that but by the advice, but also it's what your counties are doing, you know, and I know every county is different, but um, counties, you know, we are going by what the professionals are saying, you know, yeah. I mean, I remember the sad day when we shut down and my poor nephew, I'm like, oh, this kid's inside. I got to get him out. And they took the dog on a net off of the basketball hoop and then they put caution tape around it. And his face was so sad. But I, I had to explain to him, you know what? We got to do what they say. They they fenced off the park. The other day, I literally almost shed a tear. I walked down to my park and I was like, oh, they took the gate off. They took the gate off. We could go to the park. Come on, guys, let's go play. You know, but I, me and my neighbors didn't take the gate off. The county made that decision. And yeah. so I'm trying to go by if the county says I can do this, I'll do it. If the county says don't do that, I'm trying to, despite how I feel, my opinions or whatever, I got to think of the greater good. And I'm like, you know what? What does my county say that I can do and I can't do? And if they say you can go to the movies, then do it. If they say, please don't do that. Yes, movies are open, but please don't go to the movies. Then, okay. You yeah, know, but it's, it's following the rules and doing it as the professionals say to do it. When I, like when we went to the movies, I was very uncomfortable with my mask, but you know what? That's what they said to do. It's for the greater good. It's not only about me. So I, I did it and I enjoyed the movie. It was phenomenal, but I'm like, okay, this is our new normal. I'm going to do what they say, but until you they know. say we don't have to do that. But yeah. uh, so I agree. So I like the reason I'm all for it is because, again, there has been no science to suggest that that's any riskier than than going to a grocery store. If everybody follows the rules, if the theaters in, in, enforce their safety protocols, then you have you are even safer, in my opinion, going to a movie theater than you are going to the grocery store. And until somebody shows me, and if, if the government says it's good to open, and unless somebody shows me saying, say, look, 600 people caught COVID as a result of going to movie theaters. Okay, then we have to reevaluate it. But if that's not the case, then if it looks relatively safe, again, I'm acknowledging it's not perfectly safe. If you leave your house, you're not perfectly safe. But if it is considered relatively safe, then I say do it, wear a mask, do all the safety things you need to do, and just take care of yourself and take care of the people around you. But again, I'm not telling you what to do. If you feel differently, then you act accordingly. 
But uh, that's why I feel good about it and, and, and why I do go personally. So that's just me. All right. What's next? Richard Hearn says, hey, John, first time writer. Love your show. Thank you so much. To help you out with all the Marvel, Marvel comic fans that complain the MCU movies and shows are not like the comic, they are different Earths in the multiverse. Comics is Earth 616. Movies are Earth 2800. Part two. In WandaVision, the first episode, you saw the camera focus on the address a lot. The address was 2800. Wyo. Yo. Represent that Earth. In the Vision comic, it was 616. Therefore, the movies and comics do not have to be the same. They are different Earths. I will go one step further, Richard. I actually think you're overthinking it a little bit. It really is as simple as this. The movies are the movies. The comics are the comics. That's it. Period. The movies and TV show universe that Kevin Feige is creating is based on and heavily influenced by the comics but it is not a direct translation of the comics. He is making the best movies and TV shows he can, and that's his number one job. I always say this when people get mad at me when I say this, Kimberly. I say, whether it's a book translation, a uh, translation of a, of a theater play, a translation of a comic book, whatever, the number one job of a director and filmmaker and producers is not to be as faithful as possible to the source material. The number one job is to make the best movie possible. And a lot of times that means you need to adapt just because something works on a printed page, whether in a book or a comic book, does, that does not mean that's the best way it'll work on the screen. And so Civil War, the movie, is very different from Civil War, the comic book story. X-Men Days of Future Past is a very different movie than the X-Men Days of Future Past storyline in the comics. Mm. And that's the way it is. So, yeah, I mean, if, if you if you want to use semantics, you can say, well, the differences in the different Earths and blah, blah, blah. But it's even more basic than that. It's that the movies and TV shows are not the comic books. They are based on them. They are influenced by them, but they do not adhere to them because this is different. It's not the same thing. It's not an equal translation. So I can yeah. understand the frustration for people who sure. are comic book lovers. I can understand falling in love with comic books and, and what they've meant to you in your life and being excited about a movie. And, and you want to see your stories that are imprinted in your heart. And you're like, that is not the main villain in this one what are you doing you have to be true to the, the i get the passion for it but it's it they're different venues you know, you know? here's a great example of that this is one that i go back to a lot i i grew up reading the lord of the rings books like grew up reading those i read the hobbit first that got me hooked that was yeah. my that was my gateway drug and then you know as i got became a young teenager i started reading the lord of the rings books so was i happy when I heard that Tom Bombadil was not going to be in the, the movies, no, sir, I was not happy. I was not happy at all. How do you not have Tom Bombadil in the movies? But guess what? Then I watched the movies. And it's like Tom Bombadil would not have fit in this movie. It would have been a complete distraction. It was not necessary to the overall story. And it was just out of step and tone. In the books, it's magnificent. In the movie, it would not have worked. And I was and I was actually glad that Peter Jackson didn't put him in there. So yeah, there's that makes sense. All right. What's next? This is coming from BK Dan. John just found out that the reboot of MacGyver is stopping at only five seasons. What are your thoughts and have you seen it? Uh, my thought was I it lasted more than two. I, I had no idea. Like I remember 
when that came out, when they were doing MacGyver, and I think it starred one of the dudes from X Men First Class. I think the guy it does. Yeah, um, uh, the guy who played uh, uh why am I who Havoc, played the Havoc, <laughs> who in the comics, wow. by the way, <laughs> Havoc in the comics is actually the brother of Scott Summers, Cyclops. But so the kid who played Havoc, I remember old school. I never watched a single episode, so I'm not saying anything bad about the show because I never watched it. I have no idea if it was great or bad, but I never watched it and. Until you said that right now, I had no idea it made a past two seasons. So I just did you watch MacGyver? I watch it every now and then. Okay. I like that actor. I I didn't like his hair on the series. I don't know why. But um it's good. It has all your MacGyver isms, but it's it's good, you know. It's good. Okay. We'll take that. All right, what's next? This is coming from a man nicknamed Pooh Bear. Top 10 faves turning 30. Ooh, Ooh. 10. The Adams Family. Oh, really? Wow. (laughs) God. Boys in the Hood. That feels 30. Yep. City Slickers. That feels 30. Backdraft. Oh, I love Love Backdraft. Backdraft. Father of the Bride. One of my favorites. Jungle Fever. New Jack City. Doc Hollywood. Point point Break. Point Break. (laughs) Johnny Utah. T2 with JFK, The Doors, and My Girl, Just Missing Out. My Girl's 30? Yeah, that movie's 30 years oh. old. I'll tell you what. I, I feel old. There are some. City Slickers is a classic. Boys in the Hood is a classic. Uh, Backdraft, though, one of the gurriest of gur man moments in any movie ever. You go, I go. It's just like <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> Kurt Russell and Stick from the Daredevil series. For those of you guys who watch that, you know what I'm talking about. Um, that's amazing. My girl, wow. Val Kilmer as the god of rock, as they call it in the Doors campaign. Terminator 2, we were just talking about Terminator 2 earlier today. That wow. I think Terminator 2 is like a top 30 or top 40 greatest film of all time. Absolutely. Uh, I, I love that film. my favorite movie of the Terminator franchise. I'm like, is that even a question? It's, yeah. It's like, that's it's, when I started appreciating VFX. Even yeah. as a child, I was just like fascinated with yeah, but but 30 years? Oh man, that thanks thanks Pooh Bear. I just All right, what's threw next? A few grays right there. Um anonymous. Did you not realize how attached I had become to the legacy Steve Rogers had given the shield until I saw it last night with blood on it? Keep up the good work, you filthy beast. Yeah, he puts he puts number two, but I don't think you actually sent in number one. Yeah, I didn't but see it. No, it, it's true. Like they've been talking in the show. I don't know if you saw the most recent episode of. Uh, did you see the last most recent episode of Falcon Winter Soldier? Yes, I did. Of course you did. Of course I, I did. I didn't want to assume. I most certainly but, did. You know, they've talked a lot in the show from episode one about the legacy of the shield, about the legacy of the shield, and I'm like, blah, 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 the legacy of the shield. It wasn't until that moment at the end of the episode as John Walker is holding the shield covered in blood that he just committed a murder with that the meaning of that, the legacy of the shield really did hit home for me in that moment. It's like, now I know what they're talking about. Yeah. So I'm like, get legacy shield. just cut it with the legacy shield. It's a shield. It's a piece of metal. Blah, blah. And then you see John Walker sitting there with blood and like, 
I'm going to shut up now because now I know exactly what you mean. And I, and I felt that like, what, what did you, how what was your reaction to that? Like last final image? Oh, absolutely. That final image, it was so powerful. And I think I did one of those, Oh, yes. moments. Um, because I immediately thought back to civil war when he was above Tony and he was upset Excellent and example. it all comes down to the character of the man because he could have finished Tony in that moment, right? you know, but he didn't. And, it, and it, I think this is a great examination of insecurity and what yep. to do with, with power. And John Walker, you know, he's such a baby. I'm sorry. Can I just say the moment well, where he got, he got, he got his best friend die. He did. He Come did. On, no, I, I will give slack. you that. And that scene was like, I was like, oh no, he just knocked out. And I was like, oh shoot, this just went to another and level. Holding him, you could see He's him heartbreaking. Dead. You could see him like because that was his boy. Like they went to high school together. Yep. Like they go way, way back. But I was like, what a baby. Like the Dora Milaje, they owned him. And he's exactly. like, they're not even super soldiers. And I just got owned. I'm dog water. Like he was such a baby about it. But I'm like, it's his character. Steve stopped himself yeah. and was like, I could go there, I could finish you. There's when Steve and Tony were fighting, there were no cameras. There were no people. Yeah. And John is out in a freaking plaza. And it's like, I mean, I know he was blinded by rage, but everybody's out here. Like, wh what are you doing? Oh, but it's in that character, shot, man. You could see in his face in that final shot to stand with their shield. He oh, was proud God. Of what he, did. He, was pr he was not ashamed. Of he was proud of what he did. That's how far gone he is right now. So it's going to be interesting. But that to see blood. Oh, that was a moment. Devastating that was a moment. moment. All right. What's next? Vax says, hi, John. If you like Invincible, try the Vineland Saga on Amazon. If you have not watched it, it's gory and brutal, but is one of the best anime shows out. I've not heard of this. this to, let me be clear. The reason I like um, Invincible so much is nothing to do with the gore. The gore is a... I could give or take it. I really don't care. It doesn't make the show any better to me. It's just a great story with great characters. And it's like, why the hell is Omni-Man doing that? Like, literally, why? I'm I'm struggling. He's clearly struggling. And what's going on with this character? That's the stuff that gets me really hooked. Any any idiot can sit down and draw out a bunch of gore and brains flying out. That doesn't what that's not what makes a show good to me. Uh, but don't get me wrong. I love the filthy. Bring on the filthy. But that's not what makes a show good. It's the characters with all, all that kind of stuff. But I'm always interested in hearing about good recommendations for good storytelling shows, Vax. So I will keep my eyes open for that one. Thank you for that. All right. What's next? BK Dan says, John, I know you hate doing top fives. How about a top one? Top one Pixar movie that comes to mind when you hear Pixar. Mine is Wally. -E. What's yours? Wally -E is a great one. That That's fantastic. For a long time. The movie my mind would go to when I hear Pixar was just Toy Story. That I mean, that's Pixar. That that represents Pixar. Then for a long time after that, when I would think of Pixar, I would think of Up. Or sorry, I would think of uh, in Incredibles. The Incredibles is what I would think of. Mm. And then I saw Up. Up, to me, it represents what Pixar can do, you know? with yes. character they told a seven or however long stretch it was in that movie with no dialogue and no whatever just this piano music playing telling the story through visuals and then having everybody in the damn theater weeping and crying like a baby and then laughing and cheering it's just 
it's just a great representation. I mean, obviously, Toy Story is probably the poster franchise of what is Pixar. It's the franchise that started it all. It's the one that's got an Academy Award nomination for Best Picture. I mean, so does Up, now that we think about it. But, I mean, it's the one that's made billion-dollar films. It it, it kind of does represent Pixar. But when I think of Pixar, I must admit my first film that I think of is Up. What about you? I was going to say Up. And I'm not just saying that because <laughs> I'm here with you. Nope. Up. Because Up was kind of the first one that, um, I mean, obviously Pixar, it's aimed towards children, but let's not lie. Most adults are like, oh, Pixar, yay. Um, I think um, since I have like nephews and stuff and, and they were real little when Up came out, it helped kids understand death and life in a different way. Um, because it's hard having that conversation with your little ones, but to see this old man go on this adventure up in the sky with, and this friendship between the old man and the little kid and, and the wonder that can still happen and, and accepting the cycle of life and how you can still live on and give to someone. It was just so deep. Yeah. And I remember having like little deep conversations at the time. I think my nephews were like three or four. And I remember having a deep conversation with them about death. And I was like, Pixar, like, whose therapist do you have? Like reaching into our soul and making us deal and heal. Like, yeah, it's good stuff. All right. What's next? Joseph Curtis says, hi, John. Been watching you since the Collider days. Thank you, Joseph. When I'm in the shower, I'm listening to you. LOL. <laughs> Thank you for your dedication on your craft. It's awesome to see. My question to you is this. What movie scene always makes you cry? Hardly. You. I, I've only cried very, like, in one, I can count on one hand the amount of times I've cried from a movie. But the one that always gets me, well, there's a couple that always gets me. The ending of Life is Beautiful by Roberto Benigni. Um, uh, the, the ending of Best of the Best. When uh, Tommy, when Dehan hobbles over and gives Tommy his gold medal and offers himself as his new brother. And the one that is the first movie I remember crying at was the end of the Julia Roberts movie, My Best Friend's Wedding with Cameron Diaz. Oh, he's on um, the phone. He's on the phone with her, with her best, her gay best friend. And because her heart is broken, she was trying to break up this wedding of her best friend who she's actually been in love with, but he rejects her and stays and marries the other girl played by Cameron Diaz. The other girl's played by Cameron Diaz. And so she still is his, the maid of honor in the wedding. And she's heartbroken too. And she talks to her friend on the phone and then she looks across the room and her friend is there. Rupert. Rupert Everett. Everett. Thank it? you. I keep forgetting his last name. And Rupert the way Everett. he described that scene too. Sitting there with your tendrils in your eyes. Yes. Yep. She mm -hmm. looks across and he's there. Why? Because he knew his friend was going to need him. Mm -hmm. So he flew across the country to be there for his friend. And it is overt signs of loyalty and friendship that gets me in these movies. That's what gets me. And so that is the one that always does it. Do you have one go-to movie that'll make you cry every time you see it? Or Absolute, absolutely. It's a film called Awakenings with Robert, oh, Robert De Niro yeah. and Robin Williams. And it's the scene, I don't want to spoil it from, for anyone, but it's a very old movie. But um, there, there's a scene in it where um, this the the drug doesn't work anymore. Yep. And he's dancing with, um, what's the actress's name? I forgot. Um, 
but they were dancing together and she was kind of a volunteer. And there had been a moment where he he was dancing with her with a lot of life. And it's at the end when he's dancing with her now and he's back to being um, mentally disabled and physically disabled. And just the fact that he had tasted life without the, the, you know, state that he was in. And now he's back. I don't cry. I, I have an existential moment. <laughs> Tears shoot out of my eyeballs. <laughs> like that moment is is also so beautiful. And of course, anything with Robin Williams, either uh, I'm laughing until I cry or I'm like cry, crying, cry, you cry. crying, 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 crying. It's not your fault. It's not your yeah. fault. All right. What's next? Ryan Lawner says, building off the guy who wrote in the choky chicken gag from Rocco's Modern Life, that show had a ton of very adult jokes, with one in particular where I really wish I could remember what I thought was going on at the age of 10. A montage of Rocco trying various weird jobs includes him saying into a phone in total monotone, Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. Then it turns out his neighbor is on the other end and they both hang up in horror. Have fun explaining, parents. Yeah. I mean, so with this, what Ryan's referring to is like (laughs) we got onto this conversation about adult Easter eggs, like Easter eggs or gags that are targeted adults. that will probably go over kids heads in family based entertainment. I always go back to Animaniacs. Animaniacs had a lot of very adult stuff and that, you know, that things that no kids would understand and would go right over their heads. Right. And so somebody wrote in about the show saying the choky chicken, which, of course, you know, when you get older, it's like, oh, that's what they meant. But uh, kids would never understand that. Right. So that's again, I've never seen this show. I never even heard of this show. Rocco's Modern Life. Yeah, I forgot how the song goes, but I remember it. In Canada, we never we never had you this show have in Nickelodeon. Canada, so I never heard of it. Yeah. till somebody brought, oh. it, till somebody brought up the choky chicken thing. I never even heard of it. But yeah, yeah that cool. oh baby. <laughs> oh, okay, that's a good one. All right, what's next? Were they just trying to prove to parents like you're not watching your kids? I, I no, I think they <laughs> because... wanted to put things in there that their parents would get a kick out of. I think, but oh I my god! <laughs> All right, Chris West says hello, John and crew. So Paramount has just announced a new Star Trek feature film for a summer. 2023 release. Okay, I'm excited, but still skeptical. I wonder what universe this will take place. Just want a good story. Yeah, we talked about this on the John Campus show earlier today. They have finally announced, and it's. You know, I know 2023 to us sounds like it's still forever. That's just two years away. That means they got to start shooting this thing probably within the next six months. But uh, so they're they're going to do Star Trek, but we don't know anything about it. It does seem pretty certain that it's not going to be that Quentin Tarantino one that they had had talked about teased for a while. It's probably not that. If I had to bet $5, I'm going to bet it's the Kelvin timeline thing. I'm going to guess that Chris Pine, um, uh, uh, Chris Hemsworth, Carl, Carl Urban, uh, Chris Hemsworth playing his dad. I'm going to bet they're finally going to move ahead with that. Probably for a more reasonable budget. Now, again, I have no insider information on that. None at all. I'm just speculating right now. But that's where my spec. Of course, a good another option is that they're. They'll do something like with an entirely different crew and all that kind of stuff. But I do think they're going to go back to the Chris Pine thing. We will find out soon enough, though. All right. What's next? All right. Porky Chicken says, (laughs) hello, John and crew. After the last episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I see people saying that John Walker is giving them Homelander vibes. I was just wondering your thoughts on this because I don't see the show comparison at all. Thank you. Love your show. I think what they're saying is, is that obviously he's not Homelander. He doesn't have the powers of Superman. He can't like the world doesn't have to tremble at his presence, but the Homelander mentality, 
something is right if I do it because I'm the one doing it. Therefore, it's right. You know, anything I do, I can do whatever I want. Just like, you know, Homelander choking his chicken on top of a building as he orgasms over a city yelling, I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. There seems to be a little bit of that mentality in John Walker, particularly at the end as he's holding the bloody shield and looking proud of him doing it. And that new trailer for episode five, as John Walker's saying to Sam and Bucky, you don't want to do this. And Bucky says, yeah, we do want to do this. And But the way he says that, you don't want to do this. There is, there is very much a Homelander vibe. Nothing similar about the character, but those vibes he give us of the attitude he seems to have in this outlook on life. That's what I think people are picking up on. And I, I agree with it, actually. They do give us a little bit of Homelander vibes. All right. What's next? Giovanni says, the movie canon. I've seen you twice in a movie theater, 2017 Wonder Woman, and recently for Godzilla vs. Kong, but I've never been able to go up to you and say hi. What's your comfort level on fans saying hi and possibly taking a selfie with you during this COVID era? Um, I, I, first of all, I, I have to admit, I still to this day, doesn't matter how many times it happens, I geek out inside. When people come up to say to say hi, to say they watch the show, um, there's a part of me inside that's just like freaking out. Like, like the Patriots just won the Super Bowl. Like, this is the coolest thing in the world. You guys make me feel so special when that happens. And it happens a lot, particularly around movie theaters. I'm totally, I, I, I'm great with, I mean, you guys do me the honor of that. It's, it's amazing. I don't mind as long as, you know, you're wearing masks. You don't expect us to hug each other as we're taking pictures. As long as all that's cool, then I'm, I'm totally fine with it. Um, and uh, again, it just makes me very, it, it, it excites me. It makes this. It makes this Canadian kid feel special. So thank you to everybody who does that. And yeah, there you go on that. So thanks for asking, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, next time, please do come up and say hi. I'd love to hear from you. All right, what's next? Dakota says, we all know what actors dream of in Hollywood, but how many lawyers also go to Hollywood chasing that money dream? Not just speaking of copyright lawsuits, but lawyers are needed by the studios to get things finalized. A lot of paperwork. Hollywood lawyers. I think that's it. Oh, yeah, I don't see it, it continuing. No, all right, so just Hollywood okay. lawyers. Um, but here's the thing. There is more money to be made in other areas. Yes, there are a lot of lawyers needed in entertainment. I actually played around for an idea when I was like looking at legal specialities. I was I, I considered about maybe studying entertainment law and getting more into that and uh, all that kind of stuff. But honestly, and copyright law is a huge huge, very lucrative field, but there's a lot of areas of law that are even far more lucrative than entertainment law. Uh, but yeah, it is a definitely, it's a big area. If you are getting into law, there's a lot of need for lawyers and law firms because of several different things. All movie stars, all actors, everybody in the entertainment industry has a lawyer. Hell, when I put up my first little movie, the anniversary that I made for, for pocket change, I had, I enlisted an entertainment lawyer. Then I had an, to this day, I have a lawyer. So just be in and I'm nothing. So like, yeah, it's a huge field. Yes. But there are definitely more lucrative areas of law than doing it in Hollywood. All right. What's next? The Wakandan Forever says teamwork makes the dream work. Life lessons, John, Tom and Jerry. I watched them as a kid and I like Chloe Grace Moritz. She's 24. Let's not go crazy. I won't win any Oscars. It was cute. But Michael Pena... Oh, how the mighty have fallen. I will disagree with you on this. There was nothing cute about that movie. You didn't like that it? That movie was awful. Like, I, I remember 
Anne was really interested in watching it. So, and my buddy Ryan was kind of interested. So we thought, okay, you know what? It, you know, come on over. Ryan came over. We sat down, popped on uh, the old HBO Max, and said, let's watch Tom and Jerry. Because, you know, I love Chloe Grace Moretz. Michael Pena can do no wrong, in my opinion. And there were things in the trailers like, hey, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I wasn't looking forward to Tom and Jerry, but there were a few things in the trailers that look kind of could be cute. Yeah. It is epically bad. It is an epically bad movie. I, I just, I don't think I once grinned in that thing. Oh, no. It was so horrifically awful. I, I just, I found no redeeming qualities about it whatsoever. And I find redeeming qualities in almost every piece of junk. I found almost no redeeming qualities. I'm not pretending it's the worst movie I've ever seen in my life, but there was just a, there was a complete absence of anything good. I don't know. I I hated it. Now you look like you disagree. Like no, I'm I'm I feel bad. No, I I didn't see it actually. Oh, I'm no. This is my ouch. I feel bad, and it's kind of one of those things. Like when people say, you know, there's certain movies you don't touch. There's certain franchises you just appreciate it and say thank you and leave it alone and don't try to recreate it. And I think Tom and Jerry's one of those, like, just just let it be. But it's it like Three Stooges, have. like, just it could have worked. Let it be. It was just badly done. It could have worked. But I'm sitting there watching. It's like <laughs> I would rather be watching an itchy and scratchy movie right now. I would much rather be watching itchy and scratchy. But at, at any rate, that's just kind of my take on it. All right. What's next? <laughs> Oh, man. The Wakandan Forever says, my two favorite movies that mix live action and animation are Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Ready Player One. What movie is it for you? Do you consider them live action or animated? P.S. I'm still learning Spanish. Wakanda para siempre. Wakanda forever. Um, Look, the line is so blurred today. I don't even know what constitutes a mix anymore. I mean, you could make a solid argument that Avengers Endgame is a live action animation crossover. I mean, you could you could make that argument very solidly. Hulk, Thanos, um, you know, all of Thanos's minions and armies and the, everything to do in outer space. I mean, you can make that argument. You can make the argument that Star Wars movies are a cross between animation and whatever. I mean, yeah. it's just it's hard to know where to blur that line. When I think of a true animation live action hybrid, I go back to the true classics. Like uh, um, Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins is a great example. Yes. Of, and Mary I'm not talking Poppins. about the, the, the most recent disappointment. Uh, Mary, I'm talking about the original Mary Poppins, you know, stuff like that. Who framed Roger Rabbit? But now it's I don't even know where to make the di dis differentiation between what is what. I mean, it's all now a combination of animation and live action. So I don't even know where to draw the line now. All right. What's next? This is from Willow. So. When will I receive the signed poster of your backside? I'm feeling ripped off. So that is, of course, Willow. That's a little bit of a on, throwback. That's a little bit of a throwback to a previous episode. <laughs> Willow clearly has a very long iron trap memory. Uh, so you remember, so uh, freaking hilarious. I will just say soon, Willow. I will just say soon. All right, as we sheepishly move on. What's next? Sergeant Ward says, "Hey, John, since you." Since you question Netflix quality and marketing, if you had the control, what would you do differently in regards to problems? In my opinion, two movies a month and one series every two months. What do you think? See, I don't know. Like, okay, so what Sergeant's referring to there, Netflix has two. Netflix is great. I have Netflix. I was one of their first streaming subscribers. I, they are great, but there are two very, very big problems with Netflix. Mm -hmm. Problem number one is 
95% of their Netflix original movies suck. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. 95% of their Netflix, for every one old guard, there's 15 or 20 pieces of absolute forgettable garbage that should never be looked at. And then, you know, then you, every once in a while you get an Irishman, but then you they put out 20 other pieces of absolute garbage. So that's the one thing. The other problem that Netflix suffers is that they are the worst streaming company for promoting their own original material. I get written all the time. Hey, John, I just watched this new show on Netflix. I never even heard of it. And if I've never heard of it, that's not my problem. That's Netflix's problem that they have because I'm around media. And they've all the got time. some gems. They no, there's, there's television stuff, especially like their series stuff. I'd say the only people who do it better is probably HBO. Other than that, Netflix is very close. Like they're they're a gold standard just behind HBO to me. Their movies is what sucks. What would I do? Well, do better when it comes to marketing. I mean, I, I, I'm not a marketing expert, so I'm the wrong guy to ask. But what the, whatever is they're doing now doesn't work. Stop doing what you're doing and do something else. I mean, whatever. As far as movies go, yeah, this whole quantity over quality thing, just keep cranking out new movies no matter how crappy they are. Just keep acquiring movies and cranking out some lower budgets. We'll call it an original and blah. Just stop. Get a tighter quality control on your movies. Get a, get some, you know what they need? Not a Kevin Feige. They need an Alan Horn. They need like what Disney went out. The One of the best moves Bob Iger did as the high lord and master of all things Disney was he went and got Bob, and got Alan Horn out of retirement to say, Alan, you need to run our movie empire. I, I'm running all of Disney, but we've got, you know, we're, I mean, we're, we got big plans. We're going to own Pixar and Disney pictures and Disney animation and, and Marvel and Lucasfilm is coming and all this kind of stuff. The most brilliant thing he did is he went out and he got Alan Horn, an experienced, seasoned, successful veteran of the business, lured him out of retirement and got him and set him as the master of all things movies there. And they have had nothing but unmitigated, complete success because they've had one guy in control of all of the stuff applying proper quality control, knowing what would be hits, knowing what will work with the audience and knowing when to cut off dead leaves. Netflix needs that kind of person. I'm not saying get Alan Horn because I know he's getting ready to finally go into a second retirement, a well-earned, deserved retirement. The man <laughs> deserves a break. Let Don't him get on the and sip my ties for heaven's sakes. But they need somebody like an Alan Horn to say to be and give them the authority to say, no, we are not doing Dustin Smells a Fart Part 5. We're not doing that. It's not good. Because here's what they need to do. Netflix needs to create an expectation. When a Marvel movie is coming out, we all just expect it's going to be good. We all expect it has to surprise us to not be enjoyable. Not being enjoyable is what would surprise us. They have cultivated an expectation with their movies. Our expectation with Netflix is that's going to be garbage until it proves us otherwise. It's got to surprise us in order to be enjoyable. They need somebody who can come in and say, we are going to change the culture of Netflix original movies. We are going to change the expectations. We are going to change what people's perceptions are when they hear Netflix original film. Do they think that's a night we got a plan to be home to make sure we watch? Or is it like, well, that's another one that's going to slip into the garbage pile. They need somebody who has that authority and that kind of charge to change the culture. And when they do, because I'll, I'll be honest with you, I want to be excited about new. Whenever HBO has something new coming, 
I get, I get really excited because yeah. they set an expectation of excellence. Netflix has an expectation of meh. We'll give you some diamonds in the rough, and they will keep you, you busy scrolling. They will keep That's you it. busy scrolling. <laughs> you scroll sometimes longer than you actually watch a movie, and I they they need to slow down and. It's it's almost uh, like um, self-esteem. It's like, slow down. You're enough. <laughs> you are enough. Because I'll, I'll find stuff and I'll watch it and be like, first of all, why did I never know about this? This was really good. But you're so focused on churning out, churning out, churning out. Yep. Slow down. Give me some good press. Like where and Instagram, I noticed they can do better on on their Instagram advertising of yeah. um of new stuff you know um and and the trailers i just watched the life ahead with uh sophia loren what a beautiful movie that was and it was it's really good it's a netflix original it's very 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 good Dennis surprised never heard of it never that's the problem never heard of it but here i am scrolling but you've got all these gems slow down you're enough we like you Do you ever watch kitchen nightmare with um gordon ramsay hell's kitchen no is kitchen that nightmare kitchen nightmares oh. where gordon ramsay goes to a restaurant that's struggling and he helps identify what the problems in that restaurant no are. i've seen that bar rescue guy yeah so there's that so why would you possibly do this guy's like uh, yeah i've seen him bar, he's done a bunch of bars right around here, he's actually. actually done one by my house yeah um but like kitchen nightmares i was actually ann and i were on an episode of kitchen nightmares were, were you like these nachos have a hair in it we, we were yeah uh, but we were like in the after <laughs> thing we got to go to the relaunch and oh then you like, did this lasagna is delicious and it was but one of the one of the things that normally happens that happens a lot when he goes and visits a restaurant and one of the things he has them change because he goes to a to a sitting service eviscerates the restaurant about everything they're doing wrong and he says here's what we're gonna do to fix it and then they do a reopening having implemented all the changes one of the things he almost always does is it's like you have an eight page menu and what he one of the things he almost ever does is simplify the menu shrink it down Focus on the things so that whatever somebody tries on your menu is going to be great. Make that bet. That's the mentality Netflix needs to start adopting. Yes. Pair it back. Make sure everything you're doing is excellent so that when somebody comes in the restaurant, they just know whatever I order off this menu is going to be good. Whatever I scroll to with my eyes closed and hit play is going to be something quality and really good. Create that expectation and I think they'll move really well. Anyways, we spent way too much time on that topic. Sorry about that. But yes. That's one of the big changes I would make. Get Because you could talk about it for hours. We can talk about it all day. All right. Anyway, what's next? Roll of the Egg says, not sure if this was mentioned, tuned in late, but when Bucky did the face-off with Zemo and mentioned him always doing the head tilt thing, <laughs> Zemo straightened his head. I nearly died from laughing. Love your show. So take care of yourself, dude. I mean, one of the things that I really appreciate about Marvel stuff is that it's not just the big gag. It's not just the big, it's the little subtle stuff they do too. And that little thing about Zemo, because well, number one, it was hilarious. Number two, it gave us a little bit of insight into Zemo. Why do I like him so much? Why do we like him more than Captain America? I am really liking Zemo. And when they were in the apartment together, I was thinking like, this would be like a funny little spinoff of like three roommates. One of them, I wanted to bust out of jail. One of them I want to kill. <laughs> I love Zemo right now, but I but I have to remember like very, very bad guy. 
shouldn't like him so much, yeah. but he's just so likable. But as the show progresses, we realize he's actually right. He's right about super soldiers. He's right about, I mean, and like when he had the option to take the serum, he's like, no, he stayed to his convictions, destroy this serum. I was really surprised when he did that. Yeah, but at some point. I thought he was going to be like, point, go, 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 ha, ha. He's going to have a reckoning didn't. with Io and the Dora Milaje. Homegirls. He mm -mm. killed their king. And there's going to be a reckoning at some point. But anyway, that all right, what's next? Dope. Daryl Best Wadley says, hey, John, I just wanted to say RIP to DMX. He wasn't a full time actor, but he appeared in a number of movies I enjoyed. Romeo Must Die, Cradle to the Grave, Exit Wounds. Yeah, like I said, there was a window of time there where he was starting to amass a little bit of a movie career. Now, ultimately, it didn't end up really going anywhere, but hey, he's been in more movies than me. Uh, he had a legitimate uh, little bit of a career there, and there were some fun elements to those movies. And yeah, obviously, most people will think of him when Anne, and Anne had a whole soundtrack of DMX in the cars we were driving the other day. Um, but uh, yeah, he definitely had uh, a bigger movie career than, than a lot of actors wish they could have. All right, what's next? This is coming from the Wakandan Forever. I'm going to be honest, I'm not a rap guy, but I heard about DMX passing today. I heard a couple of his songs, and I know he did some movies. John, are you familiar with his work at all? Even though I'm not a fan, I wish well to his loved ones and fans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, like everybody else, Rough Riders and things like that, and of course, his movie work and, and, and everything. So, yeah, I mean, you got to remember, DMX was kind of at his height when I was at that age. So I was really into that stuff. So that is one of those throwback names. Uh, to me, like, so, I mean, he was, he came after guys like cool Modi and, and things like that, but, uh, yeah. And, and again, I didn't even know he was sick. A lot of other people did know he was sick. I didn't even know. So it caught me like really quite by surprise. All right. What's next? Ryan Lawner says a bit of an outsider, a bit of an outside the box guest for the power broker, Justin hammer. Maybe he escaped prison in the chaos after the snap and set up in Madripoor. The reason I believe that is completely unlikely is because basically they kind of depicted Justin Hammer as a bit of a boob. I mean, <laughs> yeah. th they did. I, I, I mean, there's the character we saw in that movie is not capable of becoming the power broker. That he's just he's just not capable of that. So if they did suggest that Justin Hammer played by the great Sam Rockwell was going to be power broker. They would have a lot to explain on how on earth does that make sense? Because he does not have the personality or the willpower to kind of be that. So I I'm going to guess no, but it is the MCU. Anything can happen. Let's see where they go with that. All right. What's next? APM says yesterday's episode reinforced your opinion that Sam's Madripoor disguise was stupid. Yep. That teacher in the shelter knew who he was. And even John said they found Bucky and Sam because they're two Avengers. I don't want to bring it up. People keep people. It's people are. I get I get it. We love the MCU. So people are desperate to defend the MCU. I know. But I keep bringing up this whole thing about Sam walking into that bar. Nobody recognizing that. Oh, that's the Avenger. Sam Wilson, the Falcon. When people in the streets in Tunisia recognize him. Avenger. Little kids in the streets of Philadelphia and now random refugees and other things. Like, it would have been funny if he had somewhat of a disguise. Like, like, like even like the old glasses, the mustache. I don't care something. But even when he walks in the room, it's like, hey, my name. No, I know who you are. Of course he knows who he is. He's Sam Wilson. He's one of the Avengers. He's one of the heroes of the Battle of the Portals that saved the three billion lives on Earth. Anyway, I'm not going to go into it again. But thank you for pointing that out, man. Thank you for pointing that out. All right. What's next? The Wakandan Forever says, don't be afraid. In your honest opinion, I won't hold it against you, John. Dark Alley, one gets, one gets out alive. One member of the Dora Milaje 
or one of the 300 Spartans. What is your favorite team battle scene from any movie or show? Wakanda forever. Well, we answer one question at a time here. Um, my my favorite battle team battle scene of all time is the airport scene in Civil War. And the action is great. There is better action in other battle scenes. But you know me, I've always said that action without narrative purpose is just visual noise. I love action when it's drenched in narrative. And when you look at Civil War and you know all the cross stories happening right here between these two sides, every single fight that was going on is drenched with backstory and narrative. And I love that. So for me, the uh, the uh, the airport scene, the airport battle in Civil War is not just one of my uh, favorite team battle scenes. It's it's my favorite action scene in a comic book movie ever. So that's that's mine. Do you happen to have like a favorite team action scene from from a comic book movie or any other kind of movie for that matter? Yeah, I'd probably say Kick-Ass 2. Um, oh, wow. Kick-Ass 2. Yeah. The end, the end scene when he fell in the shark tank. Yeah, I um, don't hear kick ass. I, I like that. I like seeing everybody, the lady with the brick in her purse. And yeah, yeah, I really like that. That one worked. All right. What's next? APM says, what can I imagine happening in the next two episodes of Falcon and the Winter Soldier? John being stripped of his cap title and shield, him doing it voluntarily and then goes off alone to hunt flag smashers leading to him becoming the U.S. agent persona from the comics. It's possible, but here's, here's the one thing. And I have no insider information. I'm just guessing at this. I'm just speculating. I'm not invested in this. But I don't think they're going to strip him of the Captain America title. I think the government is going to back him. And I think the narrative they're going to play is our Captain America stopped, brought justice to one of the terrorists who blew up that building and just killed one of our agents, his partner. It's a dirty Battle game, Star. but he's here to help. He you know, something like that. He's a hero. He's a hero. And I think that's just going to re-embolden him even more, leading to, again, bigger cut. Now, I think that shield's going to get taken from him. I think Sam and Bucky are going to beat him. But, I mean, I, I don't think the government's going to angle against him. I think, now, I could be wrong. Like, I could totally see them going, yeah, the actions of... John Walker, not Captain America, we found very disturbing. We we picked the wrong guy, whatever. But it's it's it is going to be seen. Do you, what do you think they're going to do? do I think, think they're going to straight up be like, you know, sorry, everyone wants to, you know, eat the hot dog. You don't want to see how it's made, you know. But right. I think it's going to be one of those like, sorry, but defending this country is dangerous and messy, and we apologize you had to see it, but. He is our hero, and we're glad he was there to take down the da 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 and yep. da da. They're totally going to blow it off as like, you know, this is how he does the amazing things that he does. Yep. You know, I totally see it. All right, what's next? The sock says, "I think Netflix is dead in five years. They are just getting more crazy with their financials. And at what point does the well dry up with?" potential subscribers. Netflix probably already has most of their subscribers and the competition is getting stiffer. I okay, I see you're saying sock, but I think that's I think that's crazy talk, brother. I think that's crazy talk. Netflix is still by far the biggest name in the game. They have so many subscribers and they have so much good original content, notwithstanding all the garbage movies that they do, but their series is where they make their bread and butter. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about Stranger Things or The Crown or whatever else. 
they do great success there. And they would be profitable if it wasn't for the fact that they license, they spend into the tens of billions of dollars every year in licensing fees for other people's content, but they are weaning themselves off of that and just reinvesting into original content. Pretty soon, they're going to be profitable. And yes, they're no longer the only player in the game. Yes, Disney Plus, HBO Max, Paramount Plus, Peacock, uh, Amazon Prime, these are all players that are going to start eating into that market share. Yes, but they are still so well positioned. Again, other than HBO Max, nobody does their series better than, than Netflix does. And so I think they will be fine. They're going to be making billions in profit every year soon enough. And I think they're going to be okay. Now, do I think they're still going to be the number one name in the game five years from now? Maybe yes, maybe no. But they will be profitable. They will be healthy. They're not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere. And they do have to change their spending habits. But right now, they feel like they have to spend a ton of money because of the growing competition. But still, I think their long-term plan is going to work out for them. So we'll see. We'll see. All right. What's next? I have a question for you. Yes. Do you remember the movie The Big Short? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, with Steve Carell. Yeah. yeah. Remember how they had random celebrities like breaking down like Margot the step-by-step step in the bubble bath, yes. breaking down, you know, the collapse of the financial, you know, how, how that whole thing happened with the recession. I would really like one of those videos um, to explain to me how Netflix makes money. <laughs> because I don't quite understand like numbers and stuff like that. I need characters and like a five minute video to be like, this is Netflix. Your monthly subscription goes to da 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 da. Because I just don't get it. Right. So basically it's this. Netflix with an, I can't remember what the average uh, subscription now is $12, is $15, $13, 12? something like that. They have, let me just bring up quickly here how many subscribers they have. Uh, how many sub subscribers does netflix have okay so netflix has 200 million subscribers right dang so you're talking roughly about let's say for argument's sake you're talking about 3.5 billion dollars a month in subscription fees oh wow okay, okay. so 3.5 billion dollars probably a little bit less than that but just for our ballpark let's go 3.5 billion subscription fees okay so you're talking roughly 20 billion a year in roughly 20 billion a year in subscription fees. 20 billion dollars. Now, that becomes mitigated by their administrative costs, which is in the 7 to 8 billion dollar range. Their original production's costs, which is close to two to double digits in the billions. And their biggest culprit is their licensing fees that they pay to other people for the rights to play movies on their show, which comes into the okay. double digits. This all leaves them at a deficit where they are actually losing money every year. But they are weaning themselves off of licensed content and they are moving away from that model. And be, the big saying from the, the CEO of, of Netflix a couple of years ago was we need to become HBO before HBO becomes us, which means we have to become an originals channel, not just the place where you come to watch other people's content curated. And as they move away, and that's the big advantage Disney has. Disney has zero licensing costs. They just put up Disney originals. That's it. So they have like a $12 billion advantage over things. So as Netflix moves away from that, if it wasn't for that disparity, Netflix would be making five, six, seven billion dollars a year in profit. In profit. And that's what they're, and that's if they don't add another single subscriber and they don't have a single other price increase just by limiting or limiting or eliminating 
that annual licensing fee, they'll be good. But yes, if nothing else, people ask, how can you lose billions a year and still be in business? Because you generate 20 billion a year in revenue. And when you generate that kind of revenue, there will always be new rounds of investors to give you money. And you show that you have a plan to turn it around, which they do, which is weaning off the license contract, license content stuff. Yeah. They're going to be good. They're going to be good. So okay. that's it. Kind of, I, I, that's not a perfect explanation. I've oversimplified. No, that helps. Things, that helps. That's the I'm basic like, general gist of it. When I heard the, um, it is a crazy knives out deal. I was like, what? 203 million subscribers, crazy amount of money. All right. Anyway, what's next? Nosferatu says to alcohol, the cause of and solution to all of life's problems. That's some Homer Simpson right there. To alcohol. The cause of this is not water. All of life's problems. <laughs> I like that one a, a lot. All right, what's next? Hyperhog Star says, "Hi, John. I've been with you since AMC days. You inspired me and my brother on your chat to camera walk to finally work up the courage to start a YouTube channel." Good for you, Hyper Hyperhog Star. Uh, listen, I'm always telling people. I think it's great for anybody, a film fan, to start a podcast, blog, or YouTube channel. Not so you can build up a huge audience. I mean, that that's unlikely. There's a very small percent chance. There's very few lucky people like me got very lucky who can actually do that. But just because it's fun, it engages you in your fandom. It makes the object of your fan fandom all the more fun to participate in. And plus, you add your voice to the conversation, which other people in the fandom will benefit from. And maybe you will get a lot of subscribers or viewers or readers or listeners or whatever, and maybe you won't. But the key thing is that you, you do it because it enhances your enjoyment of your fandom and you add your voice to the conversation. So I think that's great that you did that, man. Thanks for sharing that. All right. What's next? Greg Scott Bailey says... Do you want to kill Nazis? Ah, uh, this is this is uh, prof uh this is uh, Dr. Erskine. I don't want to kill anyone. I don't like bullets. Bullies. I don't care where bullies. Sorry, I don't like bullies. I don't care where they're from. Captain America, the first Avenger. This moment resonates so deeply while watching the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Again, it Dr. Erskine ha has been come up a lot lately because you realize, and I talked about this the other day, when you go back to the first Avenger, mm -hmm. Erskine was not just looking for a good man. Out of all those soldiers they had there at the tryouts, I'm sure there were many of them who were good men, right? Many of them were good men. Erskine knew what this serum could do to somebody and what this serum could turn somebody into. And so he wasn't just looking for a good man. He was looking for a really pure spirit and that's why he's picked the most unlikely out of all of them this scrawny little kid from the bronx and said because you're more than just a good man and he bestowed upon and what what are we seeing we're seeing carly who was probably a good person who has the right motivation she wants to help underrepresented people people who've been ignored since the return from the snap she's fighting for a just cause but what's it turned her into? It's turned her into a monster. It's turned her into a person who would tie up people, put them in a building, and then blow that building up. It's turned her into somebody, because I bet you a year before this, she never would have called the, the sister of a potential enemy and say, I'm going to kill you and your kids unless your brother does what I want him to do. I, I was starting to like her, and then I was like, oh. oh, oh. See, that's the point. I know you did not just and mention the children. to Erskine. And then, of course, we're seeing what's happening to John Walker. Mm -hmm. It all comes back to Erskine. And those words about 
you know, understanding that Steve was not just a guy who got the serum. Steve was the only guy who could get the serum. And that is why he is the only Captain America. And uh, it just it means a lot. And it's where it comes from, because if you think when they were asked uh, uh, in the truck ride, when I forgot if if it was Bucky or Sam that said, you know, have you ever, uh, you know, fallen on a grenade, you know, to protect your other people? And I and it goes back to, you know, the first Avenger when Steve was still really small. And yep. it was that whole flag scene. And he jumped on the didn't grenade. Didn't even think about it. Didn't even, didn't think, even about think about it. it. But the way, but you know, he wouldn't have then gone to his buddies and be like, guess what I did? There's a grenade. Jumped right on it. I didn't care. You know, I'll save everyone. John Walker kind of had that attitude. Like, yeah, I did jump on a grenade. I jumped on three. Like, like the character of somebody like, yeah, you jumped on the grenade, but you're boastful about it. You're egotistical about it. Cap probably would have never even mentioned it to someone because he wasn't prideful in that way so it comes down to character yeah and not just good character the purest of spirit you know mm-hmm. all right what's next dark knight rises says hi john i just finished wa- i just finished watching your honor brian cranston is just so excellent in every scene the latter day jack lemon In the dramatic side, I think he has to be considered one of the best in the game right now. Anyway, this series could continue. I have no idea. I don't watch it. It's it's on again one of those networks that I I believe it's on one of those networks that I don't have access to. I don't I don't I think it's it's either Showtime or Stars or one of those things Mm. that I don't think I have. And I love Brian Cranston. I've heard great things about Your Honor, but again, it's just for me, it's one of those things where I had to make I had make a choice. I can't have everything. And I think it's on one of those things that I haven't had a chance to see yet. So it is what it is. All right. What's next? The eighth says, I love the current iteration of Spider-Man, but I miss the feeling of popping it on and having that true Spidey feeling without Iron Man Jr. So many connections. P.S. Was Superman supposed to tickle Zod to death? You guys try being him for just a day. Yeah, again, I, I get into trouble with some people a lot because we're often talking about, look, I love the Tom Holland Spider-Man. I do. I love Tom Holland. I'm enjoying these movies. I like Far from home. I like homecoming. I'm very much looking forward to No Way Home, all that kind of stuff. But it does irritate me. In the midst of all that enjoyment, there are irritants. And one of the irritants to me is this fundamental belief that Spider-Man's not cool enough, that you have to make Spider-Man a little Iron Man. for Because you know what the kids like? The kids like Iron Man. The kids like heads up digital displays with a virtual assistant in his ear and armor. And that's what the kiddies like. Spider-Man's passe. He's not cool. People won't just like Spider-Man for being Spider. We got to make him a little Iron Man. And they give him his Iron Man suit with his Iron Man heads up display and his Iron Man virtual assistant in his ear, his own Jarvis. And he can shoot rockets and have extra arms pop out. And it's like, yawn. Spider-Man is Spider-Man. Let Spider-Man be Spider-Man. And again, I that's not preventing me from loving the stuff. I am still loving the stuff. I'm just saying it's just. I really look forward to the time of them just getting back to a Spider-Man costume and Spider-Man being Spider-Man because Spider-Man's good enough. If you don't have to give a magical suit of armor to Black Widow, and if you don't need to give a magical suit of armor to Hawkeye, and if you don't need to give a magical suit of armor to Sam Wilson, then guess what? Spider-Man will be just fine. But anyway, that's just kind of my take on it. All right. What's next? Dark Knight Rises says, I read somewhere Anthony Hopkins has the ability, as some other great stars, to be able to do 25 takes of a scene. 
Each scene he can deliver flawlessly, never tiring, making each one sound as if it was the first. A complete pro. How does he do it? Repetition, study, and work. I mean, it's just that. I remember hearing uh, Hopkins once talking about he works at his craft. He works. You get a guy who shoots one to 200 free throws a day. Guess what? He's going to be really good at throwing free throws. Yep. They're going to be staying in line and boom, 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 boom. I mean... And so that's basically Anthony Hopkins. He knows what the scene needs. He knows what he needs to do, and he can deliver it solid every time, which is why, you know, he is one of the most celebrated actors in the history of the medium, and he always will be. And he's just getting better. I mean, when you look at movies like The Father, one he just did about the Pope as well, where he was the, I think it was called Two Popes. He's just getting better. It's kind of ridiculous. But anyway, yeah, that's the great Anthony Hopkins. All right, what's next? It's all Wanda. This is one of six. Ooh, here we go. Hi, John. I believe Shuri is the logical choice for the next Black Panther. I'd like to explain why by giving you my pitch for Black Panther 2. It's explaining that due to the blip, the traditional battle for the leader of Wakanda has been abolished. Shuri has already assumed the role of Black Panther and Queen. She trains with the Dora Milaje, but her fighting skills are lacking. She studies to become a better diplomat, but she's uninterested. She feels she belongs back in her lab. Even worse, she cannot enter the spirit world to commune with her brother and father. She's deflated and feels unworthy. Of course, she needs a villain to challenge her beliefs and push her to become something greater. She will face a fully realized Baron Zemo. Zemo represents all the things Shuri is not. He's a seasoned warrior and a cunning strategist. Zemo also killed her father. Importantly, Zemo would see Black Panther as the ultimate super soldier. He's compelled to, in the end, in his mind, a great threat. Though unmatched by Zemo initially, Shuri will discover that she is uniquely suited to meet this moment. Her innate abilities will help her to avenge her father, carry on the mantle of Black Panther, and become the leader her people need. Shuri finally transcends into the spirit world. She was kept from crossing over to look inward and realize her own worth. Shuri sees her father first and embraces him. She looks up at a figure. Her eyes begin to water at the sight of T'Challa. All right. It sounds nice, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Listen, I love Letitia Wright as Shuri. She is one of my favorite characters in the MCU. It's perfect casting. And perfect casting. Perfect. She casting. is the little sister. Yeah. I love this character. Like I, when I came out of her, well, I raved about her on my show so much. I love the character. I love, but I'm sorry. Everything they've shown us, she is not a queen. She has no interest in being queen. She has none of the diplomatic skills to be queen. She has no combat training. To me, suggesting she becomes Black Panther is as bad as when they turn Laurel into Captain Buckles on the uh, Arrow show on CW, which totally ruined the show. It's like, oh, good. Laurel took a couple of night classes at a boxing camp, and now she's out on the streets fighting crime. Give me a break. There is nothing about Shuri. Plus, it would take a monarch to abolish a thousand-year tradition of Wakanda that you, if you want to lay claim to the throne, you have to face challenge from other people who have a right to the throne as well. And there ain't just any way she's going to beat M'Baku in that. M'Baku, who is far better suited to be king than she is to be queen because he has been the leader 
of the Jambari tribe for probably most of his life. He was a good friend to, to Chichala, and he came this close, this close to legitimately, fairly, and cleanly beating T'Challa for the throne in the first place. There is no argument. There's no argument to be made in any way, shape, or form that Shuri should take the throne, that she has any real claim to the throne, that she has any skill to be that leader, or that she has any ability to be Black Panther. M'Baku does. Hell, if you wanted to really go there, I mean, um, the, another person who has a much better claim to the throne, better leader, understands the world better, not a lab rat caught in the lab and all that kind of stuff, and is way better at uh, at uh, combat, is T'Challa's betrothed. But, uh, betrothed. Uh, what's her Nakia? Nakia. Yes, mm-hmm. Nakia. Like, she is... By far, she is a she is a she, ha- she was running her own like secret ops. She is a noble of her tribe. Mm-hmm. She has legit claim if she wants to lay claim to it. She would be a far better global leader than Shuri would be. She would be an infinitely better Black Panther. Uh, I mean, and then you got Lapita Nyong'o. And Lapita Nyong'o, she brings it. Absolutely, she now, brings it. Again, that's not me casting any shade on the Shuri character. She is legit one of my favorite characters in the MCU. But her character is what her character is. And so I you would have to explain to me why Nakia is not a better choice. It wouldn't be a clear, obvious choice for them to go with. That Umbaku is not the clear, obvious choice for them to go with. Like there's just so many other better. Or why doesn't T'Challa's mother just assume the throne at that point? Now, let me tell you something. Okay. Angela Bassett is a bad woman. That's what okay? I'm saying. That's I don't insane. care what her age is as the mother of T'Challa. She can throw down. There's just nothing about Shuri, mm-hmm. as great as she is, that says queen. And there's nothing about Shuri that says Black Panther. And that's not an insult. It's just about... It's just about yeah. the structure of the character and where that character fits and and what makes sense. I mean, this is a t- I, I really hand it to Ryan Coogler. This is a really tough thing to handle. Yes, and I I, I think they're going to handle it right. Um, but what a tough thing! Not only when you have a character that's like you know really up there with everyone else, but to replace not just the main character but an actor and a person who's in itself he's a he's a move he was a movement yeah and it's there is no replacing that so what they do with the story um it's a tough one but i think they're going to do the right thing whatever it is i think it's going to be interesting and it will fit because it's all about fit at this moment it's not just about and it's got to narrow anything it's got to make sense it's got to fit one of my other favorite characters in the mcu is ant-man scott lang ask me if i think scott lang should be the next black panther john do you think Scott Lang should be the next Black Panther? No, I do not. All right. He is not the right fit. It doesn't make any sense. Is that me casting Jade on Ant-Man? Not at all. I love Ant-Man. But Shuri is also just not the right character for that. And listen, they may go that way because we love Letitia Wright. We love the Shuri character. So they may make, they may put that as a higher priority over common sense and what would actually make logical sense because Nakia, Mbaku, and I'm sure several others would make far better choices. But I don't know. We'll see where they go. All right. What's next? 
The Wakandan Forever says, luckily, I don't have to be everywhere, only where I'm needed. One of the greatest superhero lines ever. I watched Invincible today. I had no interest in it, but kept hearing people talk about it. Great show. That opening was amazing and timely. I loved it. The show is so good. I, I am... I am as looking forward to Fridays now because of Invincible as I am for Falcon and Winter Soldier. I've really enjoyed and that line by Nightwing. Fortunately, I don't have to be everywhere. I just have to be where I'm needed. Like that was such a great wing, a great line from Nightwing, uh, R.I.P. Nightwing. Um, all, all that kind of stuff. The show has been fantastic, and I can't. Have you started watching Invincible yet? It is on my list. I really want to watch it. I'm still trying to get through Kingdom, um, the zombie one. Um, and and so right now I'm trying to get through Kingdom, and I just um, started another series before Invincible. I really, I'm hearing great things. I'm hearing really great things. Well, I and I just love J.K. Simmons. Like I love only four episodes and- in. And you're four just, episodes in, and yeah. you're going to get to binge right through that. It has been great so far. I'm very, very impressed with it. It's on my list. It's yeah, on my list. Do watch when you get a chance. All right, what's next? The Wakandan Forever says, Wakandan again, with Invincible, great show, but be warned, if you have little kids, parents, check it out first. It is definitely for a mature audience. Just don't go in thinking it's Muppet Babies. Have a good one. Wakandan forever. Yeah, this ain't Super Friends on Saturday afternoon. It, it, it's it's definitely adult leaning. Uh, so yeah, do be cautious about that. Don't think, oh, this is a great one for me and little Sally to sit down and watch together. No, it's probably not. Might want to avoid that one. All right. I watched the trailer actually because before all the buzz when it was new, because my nephew saw it was a cartoon and we were looking for stuff to watch. Right. Yep. And he goes, look, a cartoon. And then I watched the trailer and I was like, Oh, no, 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 no. This is not for you. (laughs) Not for you, kid. Sorry. Wait a few more years. All right. What's next? Bran Solis says, Dear John and or Rob, Winter Soldier is my favorite character. I can deal with a fake metal arm, super super soldier serum, going into battle with no gun. But what I absolutely cannot excuse is Bucky's new ability of using an iPhone screen with a glove on. Ah, but that, <laughs> that is actually explainable. Because, listen, being in, even back when I still lived in Canada, which is a lot of years ago, uh, often in Canada, I mean, you get you, depending on where you live in Canada, you can have like four or five months of winter, depending on where you live. Oh, dang. Um, so a lot of people wearing gloves a lot. This came out a decade ago with gloves that will work with self with phones that hmm. that will work with touch devices such as tablets and phones. So I can only assume I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that Bucky, who always wants to have the, the glove on, he probably has some kind of capacitive glove that will work in interactive screens. It does exist. It does. I've used them. I've got them. I've got pairs of those. So. They're there, but uh, but yeah, I can understand you taking a little bit of a side kind of glance at that one, Brands. I, I totally get that one, Brand. All right, what's next? If you don't answer this, says, get you a friend that will ride for you like Walker did for Lamar. It wasn't me. Shut up. You picked a side. Stick with it, you coward. Flag, flag smashers are weak except for that little, that little bitch. <laughs> Man, I hope Walker doesn't. I hope Walker doesn't die by the end of the show. Hashtag team faux cap. I mean, listen, I (laughs) will. I actually love the reason I love this John Walker character is because it is not black and white with him. He starts off as a good guy, but flawed, just like most of us, a good guy, but flawed. 
He's put into a pressure cooker that is really accentuating those flaws. He has the dream, these dreams of being the new Captain America, of living up to the responsibility of doing good and helping people. But he's faced with constant rejection and failure. He's rejected by Bucky and Sam initially. He's spit in his face when even when people recognize who he is and they catch him, they spit in his face. He loses in a straight up fight against Adora Milaje. And he's completely bewildered when it happens. It's like, I, he doesn't make excuses. He's not no, like, he's like, they're not even super soldiers. You come back here, I'll beat you this time. <laughs> or, oh, they only won because they got, no, no, no. He made no excuses. They weren't even super soldiers. He's disillusioned. He's been rejected. He's ran run into roadblocks. He hasn't been able to live up to the thing. He's taken hit after hit. He probably already suffers from some pre-existing PTSD from his war experience where he was a hero. Yeah. He has self-doubt. He just took the super soldier serum, which is going to F him up. And then he watched his own best friend die. And you add all of that. That is a pressure cooker that is going to break most people. And we see him break. Now, I don't see that as excuses for him. But at the end of the day, he had like some people would say to me, you know, we saw in First Avenger mm-hmm. Captain America busting into Hydra things with guns and killing Hydra people like we saw Captain America kill people. Mm-hmm. Yes, but Captain America never had an opponent beaten, defeated, and surrendering yeah. helplessly at his feet, other than Tony Stark. And his thing to Tony Stark was, number one, he spared him, and then number two, he later sent him a phone and said, call me whenever you need me. John Walker had a beaten, defeated, surrendering opponent. Refugee. Now like, at his, yeah, down yeah. on his feet. And he chose that I am now also appoint myself executioner. This is no longer in self-defense. This isn't in battle. This isn't us fighting to save some hostages. My opponent is beaten, defeated, broken, and surrendering. And I'm going to murder him. That's different. That's a big difference. And you got to give it to um, Carrie Scoglin and, and the writer. They do a really good job of you want to not like him. Yeah. But then they bring in a humanity of they them make that make makes you feel like because I was like really not feeling him. And then when his friend died, I mean, there's I've been go- going through waves where I'm like, I'm not feeling this, you know, Walmart version of Captain America. And then you feel for him and go, if I were in his shoes, that would be tough. Or, you know, you can see his insecurities. Um, it's hard to just make the snap decision. I just don't like him. He is the villain. You really see those gray areas and you're really um, feeling for him. Because I got to tell you, even at the end of it where I was like, oh, my gosh, look at that shield. I still felt like, man, his his best friend just died in front of him in a terrible way. And at the end of the day, the overall mission is, yes, we have to stop these terrorists, whether you feel for their movement or not. And so they keep making me feel for the guy. So yeah, and that's a brilliant thing. Every character has multiple layers and multiple dimensions to them. And the, it's none of it's black and white. It is to pardon the pun, 50 shades of gray for all of them. And it's, it's really important. Okay. What's next? The Wakandan forever says my all time film crush is Angela Bassett. Queen mother herself. I swear her and Tina Tina Turner are the only two women I have ever seen who get more gorgeous with age. Stunning. Black don't crack. I'm Wakandan. I can make that (laughs) joke. LOL. National treasure. Well, I mean, no, Angela, you're Angela Bassett, Tina Turner, all that. But I I would also suggest Helen Mirren. 
Helen oh. Mirren is is just one of those she's so that sexy. she's like she's so sexy. Yeah, Helen yeah. Mirren is so sexy. Yeah, uh, J Lo just turned. She's in her fifties now. J Lo's in her fifties now. Yeah, she just, and she's get as sexy as ever. Mm-hmm. She's had that stripper movie she did, but she's oh yeah, Hustlers. Yeah, Hustle, which was which is really good. Yeah, it was I really good. Liked Hustlers. So. But Angela Bassett. I mean, did you see her in the Tina Turner oh, movie? She's... Her, wow. Wow. But also waiting to exhale the emotion. And when I saw that, I think I was a I was a preteen or something. But then um, in my 20s, you know, after having my first real heartbreak and I watched her burn those clothes, honey, I was like, oh, you are telling the true story. When she flicked that cigarette, (laughs) you better get it, Angela. All right. What's next? Anonymous says, I just saw Mortal Kombat and the video game curse has taken a beating with this one. It was exactly what you'd expect and want from an MK film. Kick-ass fight scenes followed by more kick-ass fight scenes followed by more kick-ass fight scenes. Okay, so here's the thing. I have been hearing... It's out? Who saw... Th- there, there are some places... The screeners the are out or where something? It's, where it's, I think it's either gotten leaked or where, where it, it has released in some... I, I don't know what it is, but I've been hearing from people that have seen it. I'm not hearing great things. Oh, no. Now... <clears throat> I have high hopes. I have very high hopes. I thought the trailer looked like a lot of fun. Of course, I wouldn't be surprised if it's not very good. Again, I, I have been concerned about this movie because... Number one, it's a first-time director, and number two, it's a first-time writer. It's it, it's a movie can do okay with one or the other, but I mean, it's this is the first time the screenwriters had one of their screenplays actually made into a movie, or they got hired to write the screenplay for it, and the first time this guy's ever directed anything. So that I've I've been very nervous about that. Still, the trailer looked great. Um, I have my tickets for opening day. I am going to an AMC dine-in theater. To nice. go watch this thing the day it comes out. I'm very excited about it, but I have I have heard some not wonderful things. So, but then again, these are only a couple of people's opinions, you know, that maybe these people also didn't like The Godfather for all. I, I think there's an expectation because some things that were done years and years ago that were really cheesy, like, uh, and I'm not saying the first Batmans were really cheesy, but when we saw like Christopher Nolan's take with the Dark Knight series, and how you can take something that has at one time been silly and turn it on its head and make it dramatic and deep and real and cutthroat. I think there's this expectation of when we revive properties for for it to be like deeper. Like, like I want to see a Mortal Kombat that goes there that's a little serious. And I think the expectation we might need to tweak our expectations and remember you know what let's just have fun with this let's yeah. not expect it to be really deep and you know just edgy like let's like just have fun exactly i think we all need to like simmer down simmer down a little yeah. bit with that just, one yeah take it a little easy and let's see where they go with it all right what's next Chuck the Mystery says, hey, John and Rob, last week you were talking about films being character driven or message based movies. I fully agree with what you both said. A good character driven film has the message baked in. My favorite film of the last 12 months is Promising Young Woman by the brilliant Emerald Fennel. While the ending really unnerved me in a way that only a select few films have, I understood why it was done and the message from it. What were your feelings on this unsettling but brilliant ending? Uh, Thanks. Well, here's the problem, Chuck. We, uh, I, I can't. 
I don't want to spoil it. I, I mean, I, I can't give away. We'd be giving away the ending of the movie if we talked about it in depth. I will say this. It was very unconventional because you're watching this movie and you're like, well, we know how this is going to end. She's going to do this and this and this. And sure did. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. That scene, which flips the whole narrative on its head, I did not see coming. My mouth was open the whole last part because I did. I was like, wait, what? Wait, wait, wait. wait. Oh, we're going there? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. And then it continues. And then it has another ending that is like, well, this is kind of crazy. Now, here's the funny thing. And again, I'm, I'm trying to explain all this without giving away anything. But I, I was watching an interview with the filmmakers and they're talking about that that ending ending was not their original ending. Oh, really? Yes. The ending ending was. All I say is the if you've seen what, the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. When I say the emoji. The emoji is not how that thing ends. It it actually had a little bit of a darker ending before. Oh. Like still that big twist. Okay. That that happened that threw us mm -hmm. all through a loop. But then not as triumphant as an ending. So, again, I don't want to give anything away. All I'll say is this. The movie was brilliant. The ending was fantastic. It was very well thought out. It captured the experience, you know, coming from a female perspective. And I get what he's saying with a message. You don't want to be like, stop harassing us, like, obviously. But you it was there was so much story to her character without being a after school special. Yeah. And and I was like, yep, yep. Mm -hmm. But the way the the take she she did and the music had so much to do with the way the story was told. And sometimes I don't like to give too much to like music choices in films. I mean, sometimes they pick a random song. And you're like, why are you playing this? Like Captain Marvel. And I'm like, really? I'm just a girl. We're going to go there. Um, but the music, for some reason, I was like, it's it was a character in it of itself. Yeah. This movie was very that girl who plays Camilla um, on The Crown, by the way, the director. Right. Um, and she was great in that. But you, you guys see it so we can talk about it because that ending was like, yikes. All right. What's next? The Wakandan Forever says, you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. You got to know when to walk away, know when to run. John, what's the best hand of poker you've ever played or saw? Are you bringing back play and chats? Um, yeah, play and chats are going to return. Uh, again, it's uh, play and chats happen when I have little bits of time, <laughs> you know, and lately... I have just had no time. I, I've had very, very little to no time. But playing chats will return. Yes. Um, one of my favorite hands of poker I've ever played, uh, it was at the World Series of Poker. And it was, I mean, it was, on one hand, it was a very easy hand to play. But maximizing how much I got out of it was a little bit tricky. I literally, I like to play small suited connected cards. I don't, you really shouldn't. You really shouldn't. But I think I got this from Daniel Negreanu. I am kind of hooked on small suited connectors, four or five of diamonds, seven, eight of clubs. Those are a lot of interesting things can hit a board that if you hit, nobody will see it coming. Like you got pocket aces and an ace hit. People are going to suspect you got, you're strong, but I really like small suited connectors. This one time I was at the World Series and I played, somebody raised um, in position and I decided to come along for the ride with four or five of diamonds. 
and just to see a flop. And, you know, if you don't nail it, I'll just get out of the hand, whatever. But it came um, two, three, six of diamonds. I flopped a straight flush. I've never happened in my life before, never happened since. I've hit straight flushes, but never on a flop. So I hit a straight flush, and the dude who raised, I suspected he had an overpair. Sure enough, he did. And one of his overpair, I think he had kings, and one of them was the king of diamonds. So I thought, if he does have an overpair, 50-50 chance, it's a diamond. And if he does have a big diamond, he's going to play this out, thinking that if he hits another diamond, he's got a flush, which of course would be irrelevant because I got a straight flush. And we played it through. We got all of our stacks in by the river, and I took big. It was one of my best finishes ever at the World Series. But one of my favorite hands I've ever seen. Sorry, you got me talking about poker. I'll try to keep this quick. One of the craziest hands I've ever seen was in the World Series of Poker main event. And it was um, it was a heartbreaking hand because it was on day one of the main event. And you got to pay $10,000 to get into the main event. It's a $10,000 buy-in. And they had like 6,000 players. This dude hit quad aces. Four of a kind, almost an unbeatable hand, except for a straight flush or the ultimate hand, a royal flush. This guy hit quad aces with his river, and the river that gave him quad aces gave the other guy a royal flush. And of course, it all got in. They were both all in. The guy with the royal flush wins, but everybody saw that the guy who lost the hand lost with quad aces. I've never seen quad aces lose. I've never seen quad aces lose. And he lost to a, to a royal flush and the whole table exploded. It was like, oh! like, and you just, your heart breaks for this guy. He probably saved for a bit to buy into the World Series, a $10,000 buy-in to play in the main event. And he gets quad aces. And just like that, he was out. It was a crazy hand. And uh, one of the things, I'll, I'll always remember that hand. I'll always remember that hand. But then I see, of course, I wasn't playing in it. I just watched it, but it, it was kind of crazy. All right. What's next? Chuck the Mister says, after watching Cool Hand Luke again for the first time All-time in years, after asking you about the Newman films, I truly think it's one of the best of all time. So I've asked you about Redford and Newman. What's your favorite Sean Connery film, excluding Endy or Bond? Hunt for October. Hunt for October. I'm not even saying that's his best movie. I'm sure he's he's had several others. But when I think of Sean Connery, my mind instantly goes to Hunt for Red October. Purple Wolf. I mean, it was just like, and they'll hear the sounds of our laughter as they listen to their rock and roll music. I, he is so good. And they do something in Hunt for Red October that I wish more movies would do. Instead of having them all faking Russian accents, they just have them speaking Russian. And then as he, I think it was a Bible verse he's reading and they just fade from him speaking Russian into speaking English. And we in the audience just know, okay, he's still speaking Russian, but we are hearing English. Right. Oh. And so they did this really cool little technique that I've never seen another movie use. You know, they, I'm going to have to watch point, that again. Whenever we just see them in the early parts of the movie, they're all just speaking Russian. And then he's reading this verse. And he, tra- and he transitions into speaking English. And it's not that the character speaking English. We just understand as the audience, we he's speaking Russian. We're just hearing English. It was great. That movie, it is. The, I love the Jack Ryan character and the Jack Ryan show that's on Amazon and 
all that clear implies in danger. And obviously Harrison Ford's a great Jack Ryan. But that is the best Jack Ryan movie is, to me, one of the all-time great movies, Hunt for Red October. So for me, I go Hunt for Red October. When you think of Sean Connery, do you have a favorite one that you go yeah, to? Yeah, it's an older movie. Um, it was Just Cause. With, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Blair Underwood. Scarlett Johansson was in that movie. Um, Blair Underwood, uh, Lawrence Fishburne. Um, that was a really good movie. Yeah, it was in the early 90s, I think. I really liked him in that because it wasn't your typical um, Sean Connery role, you know? Yeah. I liked him. I, lo- I just, oh, I love, I miss him. Hmm. All right. What's next? The Wakandan Forever says, she said the L word. No, not leather, silly goose. Love. John, what's your favorite romance film? I might have to say English Patient. I had no interest in that movie, but finally got around to see it. Great performances. Love, what a splendid thing. LOL. Well, I mean, it really, I'll, I'll be honest with you. When I think of The English Patient, which I believe won Best Picture of the Academy Awards, if I'm not mistaken, think um, so. with the great Rafe Fiennes, who is the greatest actor on the planet not to have an Academy Award on his mantle. That used to be Gary Oldman, but he does have an Oscar now. Uh, Ray Fiennes is the greatest actor on the planet who doesn't have an Academy Award on his thing. Yes, yes, he who should not be named, Voldemort himself, I believe is the greatest actor on the planet who doesn't have an Academy Award. Anyway, I don't really think of English Patient as a romance movie in, in a lot of ways. I mean, uh, any more than like Last of the Mohicans, but I think of Last of the Mohicans, stay alive. I, I, I It's kind of romantic. You can find romance in just about anything, but I'm going to say something that may shock. When I think of a romance movie, it's Princess Bride. Oh, I don't care. I don't care. It's the Princess Bride. Aww. The Princess Bride to me is the greatest romance love story ever put to film. I love it. It's, it is what it is. I would say The Princess Bride. And when you think of your favorite romance movie, what is it? You know, um, there is this little movie called Lovely Still um, with Martin Landau and Ellen Burstyn um, and Adam Scott. And it, it's about an older couple and they're experiencing um, what many people go through, which is Alzheimer's. But this love story of how you can reintroduce the love that you have to someone who has Alzheimer's and, and it's a, got a creative way that they tell their love story. And, and it, I, I thought it was just so, it's so beautiful and, and they're, they're older, you know, they're, you know, the characters are older and just love when dealing with Alzheimer's, I think is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. Cause much like 51st dates, I mean, she didn't have Alzheimer's, but you have to make that person fall in love with you all over again and remember why they Aww. they love you and you love them. And I, I thought that movie is just, it's charming. It's adorable. It's beautiful. It's very romantic. That is a good one. And listen, guys, on that note, we are going to wrap it up here for this installment of the companion videos. Guys, thank you to all of you guys who sent in the live questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. Number two, you supported this channel as you did. And just a reminder, there are more questions to come, but we're going to get picked up on these things on tomorrow's episode of the John Campus Show. Make sure you tune in then and catch us on that. But for now, I want to thank the wonderful Kimberly Curran for being here and making the show so much better. Kimberly, where can people follow you and your adventures online? Yeah, you guys, um, I have a YouTube channel called What's Good Kimberly, and you can find me on Instagram, uh, Was Good Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-Y. 
All right, guys, and you, of course, can follow me on social media, on Twitter and Instagram and stuff like that, simply at John Campia. Again, that'll do it for us for now. Oh, and by the way, I'll make this announcement for you guys so you know. On I've had a bunch of people ask me to do this, so we're going to do it on Wednesday evening at 4 p.m. Los Angeles time. That'll be 7 p.m. Uh, New York time. We're going to be doing a live stream video where I'm just going to be dedicated to taking your, your questions via Super Chat and stuff like that, just talking about podcasting, YouTubing, um, uh, you know, uh, blogging, things like that. If you want to talk about the technical aspects, gear, you want to talk about principles, philosophies, steps, you want to talk about good practices and stuff like that, about getting a YouTube channel up and going, how to run it, how to operate it, all that kind of stuff. I'm not the best in the world at doing that, but I've done pretty well. I've taken three different YouTube channels, over 200,000 subscribers each. So I, again, I'm not the world's foremost expert, but I know a little bit of what I'm talking about, and hopefully I can pass some of that on to you guys. So that'll be Wednesday at 4 p.m. Los Angeles time. Hope you guys will join us for that. And of course, don't forget to come back tomorrow for the John Campy Show. Me and Robert Meyer Burnett already lining up a bunch of things to talk about, including that Lucy Liu news going to be in Shazam. We're going to talk about that tomorrow as well, as well as a whole bunch of other things. Make sure you join us for that. All right, guys, remember, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.